Hey, just a quick heads up for a content warning before the show starts. The episode you're about to hear, Near Dark, is a movie our hosts rated as spooky. We'll be talking about casual misogyny, blood, explosions, and violence. After the music, be prepared, there will be spoilers. Now, on to the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the vampire western near dark. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to invade your house and find queer content in all of your favorite movies. My co-host and comic writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? So who do you think would win in a fight? Lance Hendrickson and Bill Paxton in Aliens or Lance Hendrickson and Bill Paxton in Near Dark? Lance Hendrickson and Bill Paxton in Near Dark. We picked her up from the spooky crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. It's co-host and comic book artist, Emily Martin. How are you, Emily? I love this vibe. I'm not going to call it a movie, but the only thing that I can say right now, because I'll say a lot more later, is Tangerine Dream. Sure. And our special guest tonight, an Eisner-winning comic artist, the artist of comics like Dracula Motherfucker, The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Assassination, and Jughead, it's Erica Anderson. How are you tonight, Erica? Oh, I'm feeling bleak and alienated, and I'll let you decide if that's 2022 or this movie. <laughs> yeah it, it could easily be either that's a vibe of but just a little <laughs> bit of the the basics on this going in it is directed by Catherine bigelow who uh, a lot of people will probably know for uh, zero dark 30 and for winning an oscar for uh the hurt locker she also co-wrote it with eric reed it stars adrian pastar jenny wright lance henrickson bill paxton jeanette goldstein and joshua john miller and uh, a special note here uh, future husband James Cameron suggested to Bigelow that she use the ready-made ensemble cast from the recent hit Aliens, and thus Lance Hendrickson, Bill Paxton, and Jeanette Goldstein all appear in this movie as well. Michael Bean was asked to come on, but uh, he didn't like the script, so he didn't come. IMDb, their description of this movie is, a small-town farmer's son reluctantly joins a traveling group of vampires after he is bitten by a beautiful drifter. He's more accurate than most of the IMDb descriptions we get on here. Uh, what I like about this description is that it doesn't explicitly say that the drifter was a vampire. So it just got bit by a drifter. Now I'm traveling <laughs> with some vampires. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very much like a officer involved shooting description of this movie. But like, there's nothing attributed to anyone. It just things happened. Well, there's the, something to be said about Catherine Bigelow's interest in cowboys here. There's something to be said for the extended scene of Adrian Pastar's lean, muscular body being lovingly bathed in slow motion for several minutes. And every silhouette he cuts in his cowboy outfit against steam or smoke. This is struck by just how, like, 80s hot both Jenny Wright and Adrian Pastar are, like, neither of them are particularly curvy or muscular or anything they just both they both look like they weigh about 90 pounds and they're both wearing equally tight jeans and uh, you know various cowboy hats throughout like it's it's very 
it's very strange looking at it now. Am I remembering correctly? Is the first shot in the movie his butt? Yes. Yes. After the mosquito. We focus on him being a sexy smoking cowboy man who then spies traveling sexy girl eating ice cream. Yeah. And just let them be hot and not have particularly great chemistry with each other. It's yeah, basically the, the boring version of the opening scene from Natural Born Killers. The, the intro I wrote of this for the beginning is, meet Caleb Colton, Adrian Pastor, who I said I'd referred to as Peter Petrelli's brother the whole time because uh, heroes. It's um, <laughs> Nathan. Who is the quintessential Oklahoma fuckboy. He drives a beat-up uh, pickup. He's too aggressive with girls. He doesn't know. And wears a cowboy hat in the middle of the night. Of course. It, you got to keep the sun off. Yeah. And he, in the rain. He meets May, played by I, Jenny Wright, which I guess is what Daisy Duke would look like if she was created in the 80s. After look, I guess, back I, to her trailer park where she's staying. And he takes uh, her everywhere but that. They stare at stars, and then she freaks out a horse. I like how little time we spend with his life before this gets going. Like, it's literally, yeah. we see him sitting around. And then there's two of his redneck friends and they see a hot girl and he's like, I'm gonna talk to her. And that's it. That's, that's all we see of him in his life. I was shocked when he turned out to actually be the main character. Because I thought <laughs> I thought he was the character who just dies in like the first seven minutes. And that's when you're like, oh shit, vampires going on. I yes, we're well, learning people that care about that for the next person who shows up, who will be the real main character. Right. But I got to say, as fuck boy as it is, if I'm May and Caleb takes me to that horse farm, shit, that might work. I like that probably work on me. And the interesting thing about May is that she's the kind of person who's like, OK, we got to go look at the night. You know, she's like, let's go Netflix and chill. And then it's not a euphemism for anything. She's like, no, I want to Netflix and chill. I want to look at the night and talk about it. I do but, appreciate Adrian Pastar's Oklahoma accent in this okay. movie. That was part of what I love about the scene and part of what sets up how like sad and desperate it is for me. Because before the horse thing, she takes him out to, or she tells him to stop the car to like look at the night. And she starts going on about how like, I'm not like any girl you know because uh, you see that star, uh, the light from that star will take a billion years to get here. And I'm different from all the girls you know because I'll still be here when the light from that star gets here in a billion years. And he's just trying to make out and like doesn't know what she's saying. He's like, yeah, it sounds cool. And I feel like it's a real sign that she is desperate for any attention and it isn't from her psycho family because she still decides that she wants to hang out with this guy for eternity. They're they are- incredibly dense. Like, he doesn't pick up on her like literal metaphors for being a vampire that she drops for like the first half hour of this movie and that she thinks that being a vampire she'll be alive in a billion years <laughs> yeah I'm like i just love that she she's clearly getting into some goth shit and he's like you know what she's gonna like horses i know what <laughs> girls are into girls like horses <laughs> i got he's got one move and it's be a yeah. sexy cowboy which, again, gets you real far in a Catherine Bigelow movie, apparently. Absolutely. And, I mean, he's cute. And he did show her the horse. And I think that's cute. I do. Like, Ben, you are 100% right. Like, if he was like, hey, look, let's look at the horse. And he also opened the car, or car door and went, ma'am. If, which, If I'm already in the car with the handsome cowboy fuckboy, 
if I'm if I've already made it that far in, yeah, the horse that's sealing the deal. Absolutely. Sure, but like you didn't go out there to meet a handsome boy. You went out there to like eat someone. Yeah, which I think is the difference here. We have to like think about what her, her motive was. Yes, yes. I I think in this scenario, I'm also not a vampire. Yeah, yeah I know. Like, to take the lasagna home and marry it. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what this movie is. Imagine like sending like a family member out for takeout and they say that like that they're in love with the chicken parm. I mean, some chicken parm looks really good, like aesthetically. I gotta say, you guys are a lot uh, easier on Caleb than I am because I only wrote one note during the movie. I typed in like the outline as I was doing it, but the one note I actually wrote down on paper is Caleb deserves whatever he gets. Literally, she is freaking out because she needs to go. I guess this happens next, but she's freaking out because she needs to go home. The sun's coming up. He doesn't know this, but he does know that she's freaking out and is like screaming to go home. And then he's like, I'll only take you home if you kiss me. And it's like, you should just eat him now. Yeah, that's yeah. Your, that's your cue to eat him. I eat him and then use his body to cover you in the car during Bigel. I've never seen so much of a movie that takes place at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> this is a very, very long sunrise. I mean, and the sun in other scenes came up like it was fucking Gandalf was there. Night is so short in this movie. And sometimes, sometimes it's like a fucking lifetime. They are both not picking up on each other's red flags. Like she's oh, yeah. saying crazy things and he's just being like, yeah, I'll live with you to be a billion years. But first we'll make out, right? Let's just do that. Then we'll worry about the billion years. Yeah, he literally she- pulls the like, my car broke down on the side of the road until you make out with me deal. And then it does actually break down, which is my favorite. Which, it's yeah. very funny. He cannot, <laughs> cannot chase after her because his car does really break down. And then she takes him at his clearly not serious word. They are both not picking up on just how hard on just all the red flags that each other are laying down. Also, she's been a vampire for like a couple years. It's clearly like any one of these relationships is probably gross, except for maybe uh, Lance Henderson and uh, Janine Gold. Diamondback, according to the... Yes. Oh, uh, her name's Diamondback? Yes. Yeah, according yeah to I couldn't the, remember his page. name. The the fact that May has been a vampire for a few years and it hasn't occurred to her to get a watch. Like, she's or, like, look uh, at this. Parasol or, you know, anything? Walk around with a backpack with, like, okay. I don't know, a tarp. They don't have a tarp. They have tape. They have tape on their windows. No tarps. They're all very ill-prepared vampires, which uh, we're about to meet them. So Caleb decides to take a stroll back to his house and is slowly... Slowly burning and steaming a little bit as he has been bitten by a vampire and he doesn't know what the hell is going on. He's in the sunlight and he's he's just burning chunks. His sister, surprise, he has a sister and a father, see him coming. They also then witness a renegade Winnebago drive by him and sn- somebody Winnebago. snatches him into the Winnebago well, and take off. I, I love this part because it's really his sister that sees him. And she's like, Dad, something's wrong with Caleb. And he's like, yeah, fuck you, whatever. Which is why I put Dad in the, like, maybe he also sucks too category. Yeah. She's, re- she's really concerned about him because he's, like, almost on fire. Yeah, he's, like, stumbling across the field and shit. It's like fucking Monty Python where he's been stumbling for an hour towards them. Yeah. And so they're like, look, it's Caleb. Doesn't look so hot. 
keeps falling down. Also looks very hot because he's on fire. And the dad's like, been out all dad refuses to turn his head two degrees. He (laughs) will not do it. At first I thought, oh, they're coming. They brought their car van and they're coming to pick him up because he's clearly dying and on fire. And then it was like, nope, vampire kidnapping, which they were coordinated with. They, no mistakes were made. They, they, that was a perfectly executed grab and go operation on the part of the Winnebago vampire. What's interesting to me about this scene is that Bill Paxton says that Caleb did something to May and now he's going to murder him. I was like, how quickly did she? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what did she tell them? about this guy like she didn't tell them yet that he she had turned him just that like kept her out all night harassed her i mean he He did goes their vampires they they don't specify why they're going to kill caleb just that they're going to caleb and then caleb is like or may throws herself on top of caleb and is like he's i bit him but he hasn't fed yet so he's he's really a vampire and they're like ah fuck we can't kill a vampire i guess which is the, the whole thing is weird they're they're driving around in their black their electrical taped winnebago it's just got black tape all over the parts the sun would go through so we meet in addition to may we have jesse who's played by lance hendrickson severin who's played by bill paxton diamondback who's played by Jeanette goldstein and homer who's joshua john miller the obligatory young child turned into a vampire who never grows up because these movies have to have that. <laughs> now, how are we to, how are we guessing that Bill Paxton's character got the name Severin? Does he actually come from some sort of crazy, fancy Baron Severin family and he's centuries old? Or is he just like, look, I'm Severin Heads. Call me that. I mean, we have Jesse and May, two people's names. And then Severin and Diamondback, and God knows which of those columns Homer goes into. Well, she looks like a Diamondback. Yeah, she was definitely working for uh, Bill at some point. But it was just the... Diamondback Wilson, like that was just her first name. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, she's also Oklahoma. Who knows? I mean, I I guess I don't think Severin's that old comparatively, and even like Jesse is not that old for vampire terms. Like he's old for a person. Yeah, we find out later approximately how old he is yeah like, i think he turned severin severin just like is one of those dicks that like owes his own name I, absolutely in the grand scheme of things civil war like he would be the youngest member of the old guard if this was the old guard franchise yeah like baby compared to all of the vampires on staten island yeah like most of the cast of what we do in the shadows is older than him yeah um, yeah, actually, the baby is really older. stoned and accidentally bit him, and that's how he ended up as part of the crew. Like, he he's just the wild card in the group. He's so fun, though. Like, he is the best. Oh yeah. And if you're if you haven't seen this movie, all you have to do to see Bill Paxton is go to your local game shop and look at any White Wolf stuff with illustrations by Tim Bradstreet, because I'm pretty sure that it's just Bill Paxton from this movie. He's wonderful in this movie. He's so much fun. In this movie, he is eating. He's chewing the shit out of the scenery. He's eating everything and everyone. He's like licking people. What I like about him and Lance Hendrickson together is that like they're two different forms of violent male power where he's just like, I am young and powerful and I can do whatever I want because I know that I have the strength and ability. 
And Lance Hendrickson just knows that he has control. And so yeah. he does not be loud. He just stands in the back and you're like, oh, I hope that guy doesn't say anything. This is one of those guys where you're like, oh, I don't want him coming over here. Yeah. I, I'm going to leave the room because he's on the other side of it. There's that line that Lance Hendrickson has after Severin dies. And it's a, a line that I've uh, heard of more than a few times and things, but I always love it. Where he says, I taught him everything he knows, but I didn't teach him everything I know. So good. But like the way he says it, like just that he, oh, he's so they, good at like being terrified. Yeah. I got this dynamic that you see a lot in like Yakuza stuff or mafia stuff that it's like, there's the Sonny Corleone, the loud, brash guy that, you know, is going to go out and he's going to cause problems. And then there's Vito, the guy you really don't want to mess with. Yeah. Also, Lance Hendrickson has a rat tail. He has an exceptional rat tail. <laughs> he has an exceptional rat tail, but his fashion is fucking on point. Like, he's got that duster jacket. And, like, I don't even know what he's wearing under there. I, I, everyone's wearing, like, tight-ass pants and belts and spurs and shit. I, I know what he's wearing because I actually recently used his outfit in something. He's got a shorter brown jacket on top of, like, a incredibly disgusting white Henley. And then on top of that is the duster. And he's got these like huge brown work boots that are like not and nowhere near lace. They're just like that. They create that shape when boots are like huge and floppy and open shape. That's how I roll. Uh, well, I, I used to roll with my Doc Martens because I was too lazy to tie them. They all decided together that they're going to give him a week to become one of them to prove that he's worthy of being. They don't say the V word ever in this movie. They don't ever <laughs> say vampire once. The Winnebago's been spotted. They can't keep that anymore. So they stop at the side of the road and burn that and then steal a car. The dad and the sister go to the cops, but the cops are in a horror movie, so they suck even more than usual cops. One thing, a bit of dialogue. They So they set the Winnebago on fire to get rid of it, which is sad because that thing was rad. But Then they imply they started the Chicago fire? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, guys. Remember I, yeah. the fire we started in Chicago? It's like, yeah weird thing to drop in. I, it's interesting this movie tries really hard not to do the usual vampire tropes of like oh yes i was at the fall of rome and i watched this thing and i saw this event and i you know i was there at every single important thing that you ever read in a textbook and like it really doesn't do that because we're really trying to do like these are dirt bags they've never had money like there's no way they can go anywhere except in like a shitty winnebago and so it was just very funny to me to just drop in like, oh, yeah, they did the Chicago fire. It's funny to me that you point out like all the like, oh, yeah, they were in Rome and Egypt and all this stuff that's in all those vampire movies. This movie takes place across Oklahoma, Texas and Kansas. <laughs> that's, yep. the, that's the furthest stuff they get. Definitely, they yeah. stop at a, a random ass motel in the middle of nowhere. And the guy's like, I recognize you. You've been here before. They're reusing spots in Oklahoma. Yeah, guys, why don't you go back to Chicago? Or were you, like, did the vampires ever throw you out because you're filthy? Turns out vampires just hate the cold. Yeah. Yeah, but can these people afford Chicago? <laughs> well, no, but you, you, there's places in Chicago you can hold up. I mean, they could, they're fucking, I guess they're, well, they're dumb vampires. They're not as dumb as Caleb, who decides that he's just going to stumble home from wherever they've ended up. He stumbles to a bus station to go home. I mean, uh, to be fair, he hasn't 
seen any vampire stuff yet. He just got really uncomfortable after someone literally bit him. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that like he doesn't know what's going on because like someone bit him. He's been up all night. Yeah. He's suddenly very sensitive to the light. And this is like this weird bit where May's like, go, I guess. Yeah, right, go like, home. You need, to, you need to kill somebody if you're gonna, you know, be a vampire. And he's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I just want to go home. Bye. And she's like, okay, that's gonna work great for you. Uh, it just lets him go. He goes to this bus station and just to, doesn't have enough money to buy a ticket. Tries to eat food from a gas station or from a vending machine, which tastes terrible to him because vampires. And then there's there's a a cop there who is like, it's like, what kind of junk you on, kid? Then eventually gives him the couple of extra dollars he needs to buy a bus ticket, which he immediately then jumps off because he's still sick. Well, I have a question about the vampires eating regular food. So based on that scene, Stephanie, they can eat regular food. So are we meant to assume that May having ice cream in the beginning was purely to use as a prop to attract fuckboy prey? He never ate it. But you could also say, like, well, you know, when you min-max, sometimes you could take the eat food merit which allows you to eat food, but you have to regurgitate it later. Or it's that thing where like when you're sick, maybe eating the things that are bad for you, it's just going to make you feel worse as yeah. opposed to like, you know, like when you're okay, you can eat all the ice cream you want. But maybe like when you've got a stomach bug, that's just, it's not going to cut it. They do drink a lot of alcohol though. Bill Paxton knocks back several cups of stuff. I mean, if I drank alcohol like Bill Paxton did in that scene, I would throw it up. Yeah. And I'm not a vampire as far as I know. Yeah, I would throw it up. Maybe I'm a vampire. I've definitely read that one Goosebumps book where the plot twist is like, your grandpa's a vampire and so are you. Have fun. You're vampire kids now. <laughs> yeah, so he stumbles off the bus and goes back to May. This is the one night in the movie that's extremely long because he can just walk back to town from wherever he got to on this bus. And May's like, here, eat some of my blood that I've gotten here. After he, Which, he eats from her, May rants more about the night. She really likes the well, night. And then presumably they go have sex. They're not happy for him to be here. They're not happy that he's a vampire. They no. kidnap him not knowing that he's a vampire. What did they think he was? Like, didn't they just think he was someone that didn't have any more blood and was going to die from not having the blood? They'd only seen him for like five seconds at that point. I guess yeah, they is... must have said like, oh, he knows I'm a vampire. They're like, well, we got to kill him. Yeah, that's probably that doesn't know I... that she's a vampire at this point. At this point, he has completely failed to put two and two together. I think when they, so when they kidnap him, Bill Paxton, he yells something about like, Caleb having done something to May. So she either mentioned that he's the reason she almost burned to death because she had to like go home on foot or <laughs> she mentioned like the the weird you have to kiss me thing, which I guess is part of the same thing. They all suck and they're not good for each other, but they do protect one another. They say you know. he's been bit but not bled and I don't fully understand that. I guess that's being like He's the vampire bit, but we didn't kill him, so he'll be a vampire. I guess they're going with that version of the rules. Movie's not terribly interested in explaining the rules. Yeah. No, I think it just he hasn't, like, eaten anyone yet. I know blood yeah. means that he has to bleed, but I think it just means that he hasn't eaten. Yeah. He's bit, but he's not blood dry. Rules, uh, how do they work? Doesn't matter. No, Moving no. on. I kind of like that they don't 
focus on any of the mythology because it sort of reduces vampires to what they are, which is just murderers. They're just fucking murderers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, either... there's nothing fancy about it. I feel like it's them not... being total dirtbags adds to that, that they're just straight up murderers. And I think it's always funny how like vampires are always depicted as fancy for some reason, even though they're just cannibals. Yeah. Essentially. They can turn into bats sometimes. That's pretty fancy. These ones yeah. turn into buckle. <laughs> um, she talks about the night and it's so bright and I assume they have sex or she just talks about the night the whole time. Who knows? And same, I'm going to be real. Be the same thing for her. I mean, yeah. I've heard the night belongs to lovers, but who knows these days? Well, I ha- haven't talked to people about the night. I've certainly talked to them about vampires and like anime for a while. It's good to turn the car hood and look at the sky and talk about anime. Uh, that's my ideal like hangout. You didn't, you didn't really have to answer. Like I know the answer. Okay, okay. Um, so I, yeah, this I do feel like those scenes go differently if it's like Adrian passed our fuckboy Kayla being like, "Let me tell you about the night and darkness and why that's cool." Come experience <laughs> See, the night. That's Different just vibe, bro. Yeah, I mean, he would just explain to her how the Earth is flat, and that's why. The- <laughs> He talks about, like, when the horses are in estrus. Kale's like, I've never left Oklahoma. I've never seen a hill in my goddamn life. I don't believe in curves. I've never seen one. You can't tell me it's real. Curves flat. This is the point where maybe it's another day. It's unclear on the time here, but they're all setting up ways to eat people. Severin gets picked up hitchhiking by uh, a pair of black girls who I don't know any black girls especially not who would be living in oklahoma or texas who would possibly pick this man up like you would see this guy in his weird like white shirt and clearly a giant pistol on his hip and be like oh no that is a white boy i do not want to deal with yeah maybe hypnotism i guess the idea that he's cleaned up to a point where he looks like he's like Gonna go to whatever counts as the club. If I ever pick up a hitchhiker, my big worry would be like, what if they secretly have a gun? He's just waving around a gun trying to get picked up. It's Oklahoma. Yeah, true. It's like, he's not (laughs) pretending. And it's a fancy gun. He's got like a real shiny silver pistol on his hip. (laughs) Yeah, that might might just be this Connecticut and be not understanding uh, how Oklahoma works. It looks like he's gonna go host a junior rodeo, to be honest. (laughs) Because he puts on this, like, really friendly air, but he's got, like, the fancy cowboy clothes and the big shiny silver revolver. So it, it looks really boiling. like he's going to do boiling. an event. Yeah. Potato, potato, really. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse and Diamondback try to pick up uh, a hitchhiker who thinks they're going to surprise them and carjack them. That presumably doesn't go well for them. I'm really surprised they cut away when they did in this scene. Because, yeah, it was like, sad. You would think they show these assholes getting murdered but they just they cut him turning up well, yeah, the radio and that's the last we see of it yeah we get one guitar riff and that's it like we don't even like it's all Wah! and then cut the image of I... the gun barrel going down the blouse I, I was glad that scene was already approaching it from a standpoint of like yeah they're just digging their own graves yeah i feel like what makes that not terribly uncomfortable is just the way that like diamondback and jesse are both like so unfazed even as this guy like it wants to feel her up he's just like smiling she has the biggest smile on her face like she's just gonna destroy him 
And yeah. I think that's what makes it, makes it yeah, not like, terrifying. Yeah, they, they look <laughs> like, at each other like, oh, God, this is going to be so good. We, the audience, knows what's coming next, and they, the characters, know what they're about to do next. It gives you something, like, you don't want to see, but it does so in the context of you already knowing you are getting your catharsis for it, like, within seconds. Yeah. And, and I think it's smart that we don't see it. One, because we know what's going to happen. And two, because like we know that these guys deserve it because yeah. they're carjackers and rapists. But also yeah. the scene in the bar later is so intense and crazy. I'm glad that like they just saved it up. They were just like, there's a lot of implied murder. That's or there's good. like a not exciting murder that we're about to see with Caleb and May. Yeah, I was going to say, you know who doesn't deserve it is the nicest truck driver in the world. Who, oh, like, no! The nicest man! <laughs> Caleb and May decide they're going to, like, get in this guy's truck and then kill him. And he starts teaching Caleb how to drive the truck. and Which uh, comes in helpful later. Yeah. They just have a great conversation. And you're like, man, this guy is great. You don't want to eat him. And Caleb agrees. But uh, he does, like, get so get so sick he has to run out of the truck. And then well, uh, poor well, guy I, I, I on him. I love that because we just cut away from this scene where, like, Jesse and Diamondback are so excited to like murder a rapist. And then it's like, oh, now let's see who Caleb has to kill. The nicest man in the world who's so friendly and doing everything he can for these two kids he found on the side of the road. Yeah. And it's interesting because you have this like huge power shift where Lance Henriksen, Jesse, and Diamondback, they are supposed to be the victims and they're like, lol, we're in control. And then in this case, uh, in the truck with Caleb and May, this truck driver is totally in control of the entire situation. Like May is sitting there like twiddling her thumbs while she's like, Caleb, you're supposed to kill the guys where we got the, in the truck. We're going to kill the guy the further we get away from home base, the more we're going to have to brace the sun home. And there's this like really awkward bit where Caleb just keeps leaning towards the truck driver and the truck driver's like, are you okay? Like, are you really okay? Like, are you okay? <laughs> it's like painful. For a movie that doesn't have a ton of diversity, this black truck driver is the nicest person in the whole movie. Like, yes, he seems like a genuinely like good dude. Like him and Caleb's sister, they're the best people in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Caleb's sister, queen. I get the strong yeah, feeling was... that Caleb's sister would murder Homer in a second, though. <laughs> she could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, but we like. It's justified. Yes. We didn't mention the part where Homer is basically like baiting this dude to like help him on the side of the road. Like this old man is like, are you okay? And then Homer kills the shit out of him. I forgot yeah, Homer's pretended to wreck his <laughs> bicycle and yeah, eats, eats the guy who comes by to help him. So yeah, no, Homer's yeah. terrible. And that was right around the scene where May's like, oh, wow, we get to live forever and do whatever we want. It's so cool. And Caleb's like, cool, I guess cool yeah let's fuck and she's like first you got to learn how to kill and he's like whoa 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 wait what <laughs> she's like you know you gotta kill like like there's homer he's eating an old man <laughs> yeah that's why like i looked at a bunch of like 80s reviews this movie and so many like old white men call this a romance and i'm like at what point did these two characters ever line up like at what point are their interests ever on the same wavelength, except for like occasionally being horny. The immediate horniness anytime that Caleb drinks from May is like the only time they ever seem to be uh, lining up, which is what we get here because 
Uh, Nathan Petrelli can't kill this truck driver, but May sure can. So she drinks from him and then Caleb drinks from her and we get the weird metaphor of the oil pumps in the background here. It looks like it's on a weird soundstage, but it's probably just that it's Texas and there's like nothing around anyway. It's totally arbitrary, but it's just so cool looking. And I'm like, I see what you did there. Yeah, this yeah good also, job. It can't help but make me think of Fast and Furious and Dom standing in front of an oil pump for some reason watching a funeral. <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, yeah, I had a memory of that. That was one of our, the movies we watched, but I can't remember which one. Was that like, was that a horror movie? Because Yeah, that, that feels like it was less of a specific voice that references the themes of the movie and more just like, oh, hey, look at that. Let's, uh, yeah. let's, let's put Dom Toretto right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vin Diesel like was like, sex. I want to stand in front of this cool oil pump. That'll be nice. Can we do that? <laughs> Why not? There's an oil pump right next to the cemetery. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah, that, that's where funerals happen, right? Currently, <laughs> we're very uh... he run under a favorite thing, an oil pump. <laughs> the rest of the crew is really irritated about Caleb not killing people and literally mooching off of May, who is worried that he's going to kill her if he drinks too much blood from her. He does not seem at all concerned by this. I, and yeah, let's talk about this because, like, he could have drunk off that truck driver and he does not no he's like eating off of her and doing a no homo yeah and she's like she eats the truck driver because she's like oh for okay fine fuck it and then she's all flushed like a baby bird you know yeah and then, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and then she's like oh my god stop and he's sitting there with this shit eating grin on the ground being like it's i'm horny now <laughs> blood it's like can you understand caleb the relationship between the thing you need to eat and the thing you have to do to get it. But I guess old white dudes think it's romance. I like the reading of it that Caleb just can't bring himself to bite another man. And that's why he's going I, to die. It's so, it just the Noah homo is so strong in him that he's just going to die for it. So they get, they're in a train car and they're pissed off about Caleb being stupid. And then they're like, okay, well, if you don't kill tonight, then we're going to kill you. So they take him to a cool bar. Yeah, they take him to a cool bar and Bill Paxton fucking pops off for real. It's shit kicker heaven. He's licking everybody except for the woman. Um, like the Michael Madsen scene in Reservoir Dogs, but he does it to like a dozen people. I also love about this scene because like in the background, you often see Adrian Pastar watching this. Like you see everyone else watching too and they're like having a good time. But like if you were... A normal good person and this was happening and like even though even if you know what the situation is you'd be like i'm uncomfortable here i'd be like but edging out the door but he's having a good time he's enjoying like being on the bully's side like yeah he's legit like he's watching jackass or something but like no one's in on the joke severin taunts the shit out of this dude and it's like going back and forth and being like hey you're all right i'm gonna buy you a drink now you're gonna pay for it haha ha. i'm putting my tongue all over you and your drinks and i'm gonna drink your drink and then the guy's like i'm gonna get mad and punch you <laughs> he straight up puts um fucking nathan petrolli but it's like it's the human shield like in between <laughs> like hit him again but i like that it's not even like he quickly pulls him in front with vampire speed. He no. literally slowly grabs him and then tells the guy, well, you're going to have to beat up this guy. And he, it's he, 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 he into it. 
It's a wonderful <laughs> physical comedy. And God, Bill Paxton in this whole bar scene shines. Shines oh my like God. a Cullen sibling, like in the sun, in the Seattle sun. Yeah. Oh my God. And this is also where we hear the first attempt of Lance Henriksen to laugh. And I think whoever was his coach that day was like, I guess this is what we're getting. <laughs> it is one of the most forced. Un- I mean, I know he can act. I've seen him act. I've seen him act all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. This scene where he is tormenting the this lady serving them and like he's taking his time and being creepy and sexual about it and diamondback is like fuck this no no flirting with other girls i'm going to just slit her throat and put it in a cup for you and he says that her skin is as soft as a preacher's belly which i'm like is that a saying how are people aware of the softness of preacher's belly look i'm jewish i don't know too much about christianity is knowing a, like the consistency of a preacher's belly a big part of it? I it begs a lot of questions that I do not want to answer. I desperately want to know who wrote that line. Like, is that one where they just filmed it a hundred times and Lance Hendricks said something different each time, or did it come from well, who's the other writer? Uh, Eric Reed. Yes, who wrote the Hitker, which is like absolutely horrifying. It's it's just one of those lines where it's like, wait, hold on, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> so they kill the waitress and everybody else in the bar just stands there like there are five people in this bar everybody's just standing there and then like the fucking sunglasses guy pulls out a knife and Bill Pax is like nope gotta lick you first <laughs> the way in which he swats away this guy's knife the guy presents the knife and he's like nope like <laughs> just hits his hand no I don't know I'm a big fan of Bill Paxton in this scene pretending that he is being choked by this man. He drinks his blood and he comes up and he says, I hate it when they ain't been shaved. This is so good. And I also want to say that this whole scene, it's pretty fun to watch, but they just like let the playlist on the jukebox run and Mm -hmm. let these songs just run their full like running time together. So and it's like huge mood shifts between songs. Yeah, it's such a weird decision um, because eventually oh, yeah. like, everybody gets massacred except for this one guy who is standing in the corner very meekly, not moving and hoping that they won't notice him. And another May baby is, cowboy. He's like, come dance with me. And, you know, is dancing with him and setting him up as much as possible for, for Caleb to come eat him. She's trying to do what Jesse and Diamondback did, which was like their weird little fucked up sex game <laughs> where he's flirting with the girl and she kills him. I, yeah. It's like doing the exact same thing, but like Caleb is not Diamondback. Caleb's like, oh no, I'm gonna. And then the guy turns around and does a header out the window. He just runs straight for the window and then Stuntman dives out of it. Because I think uh, Jesse's in front of the door now. Like, Jesse has actually trapped them. And then the... But but earlier on, people can't leave because he's closed the door. Yeah. And then the the bartender has tried to shoot them with the gun and did, but then it didn't do anything because they're vampires. But, like, this bartender certainly took a sweet time. He he did not pull out the gun and threaten anybody when his waitress was being slowly tortured. Yeah. He just, he wouldn't let her die. 
before he even considered wasting any bullets. Not not a great bartender. And he, I mean, he bites it as well. It, they, it they takes pull up so long to load that gun. Yeah, they start pulling people onto the bar and breaking, uh, breaking bottles over them. They waste so much liquor in this scene. I was like, I know it's cheap liquor out in the country, but like, that's a lot of liquor you guys are breaking. Over okay, for this bar just to set it on fire. Fun must that have been for the actors on set filming that day, where it's like, "What are we doing now? We're just throwing a shitload of bottles across the set." Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throw a lot of bottles around and set this set on fire. I'm I'm hoping that Bill Paxton didn't have very many lines and just ad libbed half of that shit, where he's like, "Finger licking good." If you watch any of this movie. Just if you can just watch that scene, like the rest of the movie, you could watch. Yeah. Well, that there. scene is absolutely on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the bar scene is easily the best part of this movie, followed by Caleb, like chasing this guy down into the field and catching him and then refusing to bite him, letting him go and eventually sealing all of their fates here shortly because he does, still doesn't manage to kill this guy. Yeah. There's yeah. one guy who desperately wants to die. He's very killable. Nothing to do with the plot. Did you know that Paxton and Hendrickson were also in Terminator? Yes. 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 Yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's also Cameron. Yeah. 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 They just get brought on for the Cameron ride. But I do love that this pair just seems to keep popping up. Well, that shot of Paxton with the shotgun over his shoulder looks so much like the same shot of Schwarzenegger in uh, Terminator. And maybe cooler because you know, he's a fucking vampire with sunglasses. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're about ready to kill Caleb. They all take off to get to a hotel so they can, you know, get somewhere before the sun comes up because they do not plan. And uh, they are awoken from their nap by the sudden sound of police banging on the door. And there's one guy who survived has brought all of the police. He's brought all of the police, which they do not have the budget to show. So they keep just cutting to a couple of police looking like they're a lot of police and calling through this megaphone. I really love this concept of vampires in a shootout where every shot they fire and is fired at them then provides them inherently less cover and lets in more sunlight the longer the gunfight goes on and being in the room becomes more dangerous and like that's just a really cool concept for a vampire action scene yeah yeah Yeah. this movie feels like the bar scene and this shootout scene were the first things anybody came up with. And then they just built the rest of the movie around that. Because these two yeah. scenes are fantastic. Yeah. Anything else is, it's good. It's fine. It's, you know. Well, it feels like it's not dissimilar in pace to The Hitcher, where it just sort of builds and builds in dread until, like, it's several awful things happen and everything goes nuts. So I think that's, like, the same kind of thing. where like, all right, all right. All right, vampires. Okay, and the bar happens, and then the shootout happens, and then a truck explodes. Yeah, and based off this is the scene where a truck drives through a building. I think it's also fair to say this is the scene where a good chunk of the budget went. Yeah, well, they also burn a lot of shit. This movie, (laughs) yeah, a lot of shit was on fire, and then the 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 stuff that wasn't on fire that was supposed to look like was on fire also really did look like it was on fire. So that was, I mean, there was some good money spent on these effects. I I have to mention two things: one, Homer got the bathtub. What the fuck? Two, they're like 
their vampire battle outfits where they were like wearing the goggles and shit. <laughs> so right. Rad. They could look out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Like they're all in fucking welding goggles and I'm just like, <laughs> and it's just. They thought of all of this. Apparently though, nobody in this entire vampire coven, whatever, had thought of a blanket. Because <laughs> Kayla puts the blanket on to go to the car. And like runs out there, like because they're all like, he's like, I'm going to the car, and they're like, you'll never make it, you idiot. And he's like, No, I've got a blanket. So they get this like dope black van that with the windows blacked out, and he like Kool Aid mans it into the front of the room, and they all pile in and cheese it. And apparently, do not chase them. The cops like, are uninterested. Well, <laughs> it's like, oh, they got away. We don't have any cop cars in this town. I mean, one of those cops straight on exploded from the shotgun. So maybe they're like, there's only two of us. I mean, the entire police department. County line over there. So it's somebody <laughs> else's problem now. Not my jurisdiction. Just uh, call me when they have Henry's wake. Yeah. So they, they make it to a, an actual motel. Opposed to a bungalow. <laughs> bungalow. That I love Lance Hendrickson calling it a bungalow and this motel worker's complete bewilderment yes. hearing the word bungalow hello sir i would like to give you some bungalow. of my coin do you take pieces of eight <laughs> yeah so this is the part where like the other vampires actually start to like caleb because he bailed them out but like yeah. even at this point they're like you've bought yourself sometimes so they're still like we're gonna kill you if you don't figure this shit out and this is what we find out that jesse hunker fought for the south and uh, Adrian Pastar seems on board. Yeah, he's like, huh, huh, I don't think like, he, that's cool. I don't think he got it. Oh, that's just true. That's true because when Caleb asked how old he is, and Jesse's just like, let's just say I fought for the South. And then Caleb <laughs> doesn't like, really respond. And then he's like, and we lost. Caleb's <laughs> probably <laughs> of Vietnam. So Vietnam. Uh, Caleb's Korea? probably thinking, like, like South Oklahoma. Maybe yeah, you cool, depending on like whether he stayed in school long enough to get to this part or not, he learned it as like the war between the states. And he's like, wait, what's the, what are we calling this? Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that Caleb oh, has no, never no. learned about the civil war. Yeah. He, he only knows about horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knows how to be fuck boy lion horses. That's it. He's a modern Gen X millennial. He's just yeah. trying to learn about the night. He's not really educated on that yet. Right. I mean, he's nodding and smiling through a lot of this dialogue. I, I love it. I love how much this movie wants you to know he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> this movie seems to have contempt for Caleb, despite him being the main character. Vampirism being yeah. real is as much understood by Caleb as it takes time for light to travel through space. Both of those are yeah. concepts he finds physically impossible. Yeah. Although the wildest thing is the conclusion of this movie, which we'll get to in a minute when Caleb is proved to be the smartest fucking person in the world. Uh, so they're, they're at the hotel and uh, it just turns out that they've managed to stop at the same hotel as his father and sister who are looking for him are. And good old creepy Homer finds his sister in the middle of a Coke commercial and that's where they brings get the her money. back to the the rest of the the group. Caleb spots her and's like, "Oh, so glad to see you." And she's she's like, "Where the fuck have you been?" Um, like, I ought to punch your lights out. 
Although I do like that even the vampires are like, why are you out at 2 a.m., little girl? <laughs> like, you know it's bad when Jesse's like, what? Why, why are you out now? Yeah. <laughs> why are you here? Homer, where'd you find this young lady? And, the, and Homer's interest in this girl, and he's, like, going to turn her. There's a lot to unpack. Oh, it's so creepy. It's so creepy that everyone's on board. Uh, it's so creepy that as soon as this girl shows up, Diamondback is reveling in playing mom. She's just like, hi, young lady. What, like, what are you doing here? Like, she loves it. She wants to be mom so bad. Because yeah, Homer's like, so he's like, they call him old man, you know, like he's an adult in a, in a child's body. And then he goes after this kid. The implication is that like, he turned May for himself, but like May being a teenager body was not interested in a 10 or 11 year old boy yes and so he's like okay i know who will have sex with me is someone who uh looks my age which is still whatever i get it uh, yeah it, it's horrifying it is it, there's like so many levels of horror to it and yeah. also the fact that like he hates doing he hates being a kid forever but he's like i just want someone to share my misery i was just thinking you know like the clear comparison is like interview with a vampire and I just find this so much creepier because that woman, like, she kind of stays their child. Like, she gets pissy, but, like, she yeah. definitely has no power whatsoever. And Homer doesn't compare to them, but, like, they still talk to him like he's an old man. Yeah. And I... so it's, like, such a creepy situation there is. Yeah, the possessiveness he has over the sister instantly is so disturbing. And it's, whole, like, it's the whole change in his demeanor. They brought uh, all the dead in, too, which dad doesn't seem to know why he's coming there or what's going on, but he's well, just coming along. I mean, Diamondback asked, like, who the sister was with, and, like, she, they said the dad, and I assume it's, like, to tie up loose end because they know that, like, Homer's either going to turn or eat this girl. They're like, yeah. all right, we're going to clean up your shit. Yeah, that's some preemptive shit show covery. And I'm sure yeah, they packed it. a little bit of planning. A tiny bit of planning. The tiniest bit. Bill Paxton, I'm sure, goes to the uh, the dad's room and is like, oh, we found your daughter. We're worried about her. Fishes him in that way. So I do want to say, at this point, uh, what time did they just establish that it was? At like 5 a.m. or whatever? Yeah. And so shit starts to go down and they get in a fight. The little sister is the only one who has a bright idea, which is to go open the door and let the sunlight in. It is like midday outside. Yeah, now. like <laughs> apparently this just conversation <laughs> just took four hours. It goes from being in the middle of the night to the middle of the day as uh, the, the family runs to the, the truck and jumps in and drives off. Nathan Trelly's been catching fire in the sun and is sitting in the back in his little blanket. And this is this is when we finally find out that he doesn't know what vampires are. Yeah. His dad asks what happened to him. And he's like, I, I, I don't know what I am. I don't know what's going on. But what, what I like is that his, his dad seems to know what vampires are. <laughs> That's the part I really enjoy. Yeah, it's just Caleb who's stupid. We I can't gloss over the the bit where the dad shoots Lance Henriksen and then Lance Henriksen spits out the bullet that was just shot in him and then puts it Amazing. in his dad's fucking pocket. So they go back home to Caleb's dad's place. Caleb like has a, an idea while he's in the back of his dad's truck that I, I guess he uses as as he's a rancher. I guess he's a veterinarian, you know, for his own yeah. cattle, maybe everybody else's. It's, it's hard to tell, but he definitely knows stuff about animals. And he, he sees all the stuff in the back of his his dad's veterinary truck and is like, 
Dan, have you ever given a blood transfusion to humans? Um, they go home and his, his dad pulls out a bunch of his own blood and gives it into him. And that cures him of being a vampire. A totally curable thing in this movie, apparently. And uh, it's like, pretty sure you're going to need more than 125% of dad's blood to, to replace the blood in your entire body. But yeah, you need a, a moderately sized blood transfusion, apparently. Enough that the person can get up and walk around afterwards. And it will just cure you of being a vampire. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which apparently you can just use any blood. Because at first I was like, okay, yeah, you're using your dad's blood. There's a pretty decent chance you have the same blood type. And then they use it, spoilers, on May at the end. And it's just like, man, you have no idea. Okay, so we're not even thinking about blood types. We're just throwing whatever we can find well, in her. To be fair, they are taking in whatever blood all the time. Maybe when you're a vampire, it doesn't count anymore. Yeah, the way to not become a vampire is just do the opposite. Classic vampire, you get bitten by a vampire, then you drink their blood, then you become like full-fledged vampire. So yep. in the, in this case, he in order to cure the human, another human bites the vampire, and then the vampire drinks all of the human's blood. But no, the human has to give the vampire the blood. It doesn't matter what kind, but it's... Apparently, it's just a point of entry thing. If it comes in through the mouth, yeah. still a vampire. Comes in through the arm, not a vampire anymore. It's or maybe he's like a human. This. He's a human vampire. He's like a vampire, but human. So if he bites anybody, they become like his blood type. He's a human pyre. Yeah. Um, or if, if he bites a vampire, they become human. And the wildest thing to me after this is that he seems to assume that they're just done with vampires. Those guys that they shot and run around set on fire and left in a hotel room are not going to do anything about that. I'm just <laughs> going to live a normal life now. It's so great to be back on the farm. Yeah. Until he hears a weird squeaking from outside and goes to go fix the swing and discovers May out there still does not catch on. Still thinks May is just hanging around outside of his house by himself. And May's like, whoa, you're like human now. That's weird. Yeah, I back. I like that he hates it. I like that yeah. he hates that he's human. <laughs> Yeah. You're warm. That's gross. Yes. Which makes what happens later fucking bananas to me. Well, yeah, that's that part of him not getting it. I think that's yeah. the part, like, I, I saw some reviews about how, like, oh, the ending's a cop out. They get to be together. And I'm like, you did not watch the same movie I did. Yeah. yeah. So he, he loves this shit. That is a real mood killer for her that he is alive. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. runs away. And then discover he discovers that his sister has been kidnapped. Big fucking surprise. They've already done that once. And of course, they're going to come after him. So he takes off after uh, them, not knowing where the hell he's going. They uh, slash all his tires, but he yeah. has something that no vampires can do. And that is he can ride a horse. So we watch him with a fucking lasso. Like, he has a lasso with him. Like, he's going to lasso his sister back from these vampires in their truck. Like, I love how it's set up, like, this heroic swelling scene. Like, oh, he's going to run in on that horse and fight the vampires. And then as soon as they get, he gets close to a vampire, it's like, oh, shit, yeah, right. Horses freak out as soon as they sense one. And then the horse immediately bolts the fuck away. I, I do like that visually it's that kind of, like, hero riding up and there's mist. But it's still fucking Tangerine Dream. Yeah. Like, it's still discordant, like, unpleasant. I fucking love it. Yeah, there's one thing Darryl. about horses in this entire movie, and it's that they don't fucking like vampires. Yeah. 
He yeah. rides it so right he is, the vampires. He is incapable of learning. Yeah, he gets thrown off the horse and decides that uh, he's going to steal this guy's semi. The guy's like, don't steal my semi. And then he gets shot. And the guy gets shot in the face for just parking a semi there so it can be stolen. Bill Paxton shoots him in the head. Yeah. Let's Bill Paxton shoots him in the head for fun and giggles. And then uh, Caleb's like, well, now I know how to drive a truck. This is the one thing I did bother to learn in this movie. <laughs> I don't know anything about vampires or killing people or drinking blood, but I know how to drive a fucking truck. So our Chekhov's gun for this movie ended up being Chekhov's truck driving skills. Yeah. It's, he hits Severin with this thing full speed. And Severin, of course, pulls himself up over the hood, mangle the missing half of his face, and decides he's going to kill him anyway. And so he uses the valuable skill he's learned of jackknifing a truck, which um, not is not exactly what happens in this scene. The truck doesn't jackknife. It just, he just turns it sideways and it explodes. Um, well, Bill Paxton has been like sure. digging shit out of the hood of that that's, truck. That's Bill Paxton is fucking fantastic in this movie because this scene where he's just like reaching his clawed vampire fingers into the side of the hood and just pulling out pieces, throwing them to the side is fucking fantastic. Like, what is this carburetor? That's not enough. Let's go some more. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know how trucks are made, but I'm pretty sure you need this stuff. So I'm <laughs> just going to take it in his quick. Just taking it out. He slowly parks the truck and then it explodes with Severin on it. And just to discover that uh, the rest of them are waiting in a car at the end of the road to uh, kill him anyway. With his sister. With his sister. Yeah. Both Jesse and Diamondback are there. But the sister is the one competent person in this movie. She manages to... Uh, like beat up Homer in the backseat of the car and get out. Yes, yes. he beats up a vampire. Yeah, she fucking beans him with a flashlight and then gets out of there. And then fucking Caleb is like, I guess I'll just run across the fields until the sun comes up. And so he does. And then like they're running together, trying to outrun the real hero. Yeah, they no, hold, hold on. We have missed the one thing here, which is the point where Diamondback attempts to throw a knife at him and ends up hitting Lance Hendrickson in the mouth. And he catches it in his teeth. And he's like, so cool. Yeah. Everything he does, he does with like a chilling stillness. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's he, Lance for us. So he, he decides he's going to run away from the car full of vampires through a field and they chase him and predictably catch him and take his sister back. May is like, oh, fuck this. I'm, I'm not going to be part of this. Grabs the sister and herself pulls a header out of the car yes. um, into the sunlight rolling in the in this blanket caleb decides to protect her he's just like sitting there with her under the blanket and uh his sister and diamondback and jesse slowly start driving this truck at them uh, well, car homer, homer starts running after them oh yeah and he catches fire and there's actually a really good fire effect and then he fucking explodes so now I think that's why the truck exploded because Bill Paxton exploded. Mm. Yeah, maybe if you're on fire enough as a vampire, you explode. Yeah. Like, was just on fire enough. I think it's similar in principle to the rule of if you stab a vampire through the heart with a wooden stake, it dies. Because that's not a weakness. That's just something that happens to anything if you, if you drive the wooden stake through. So maybe yeah. it's just like, if all of you is just totally on fire, you share the common biological weakness of being 
all fire. The only yeah. thing that vampires' hearts are filled with C4. So as soon as the yeah, vampire yes, gets there. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I love this so hard. Every vampire explodes. It's just like fucking John Carpenter's vampires. They're just like. Fuck that movie. It's pieces flying everywhere. It's all oh, exploding but... vampires are great, but fuck that fucking movie. <laughs> they go like they just got hit by a Megazord's final attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they blast off again. Like <laughs> all vampires to die. They either explode or like become stars. I don't know when this line happens in this finale, but I just love that like I, I know what happens after Separate dies. And May is yelling to Jesse, Jesse, let him come back. Like, she's still trying to make this happen. Like, Caleb wants to be a vampire. And, like, she just has to bite him again and it'll be fine. Even though he's just killed someone and he wants his sister to not be a vampire. Yeah. Just the sheer insane desperation of these two to, like, willfully misconstrue the other one. To quote, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. This is not a will they, won't they? This is I know they won't, and I don't want them to. Exactly. Yeah. So Lance Henriksen and uh, Diamondback explode in the car. I was trying to figure <laughs> out if Caleb did something or if anything particular happened. And from what I can tell, it's just like they decide they're going to go out in a blaze of murderous glory and try to kill and try to run over Caleb before they explode. Yep. And they just fail and explode on the way. Everyone else was dead and there was no way out. They were like, we may as well hold hands and murder this guy. Yeah. But then the fact that they were cinders kind of reduced the uh, the pressure on the gas pedal. So they were yeah. just like, yeah. I was all in on that plan. And then it just kind of took me aback how not even close they get before they explode. Right. Yeah, they're an extremely flammable Thelma and Louise. They just... Yeah. <laughs> Like, Let's just no, keep going. There's no tension that they're actually going to hit Caleb and sister and co. Like, yeah. they're so far away when they explode. You might well, catch some shrapnel or something, you know? May doesn't explode because, as we find out... Just an insane smash cut back to the farm. Apparently, Nathan Petrelli has now given him, given her all his Petrelli, and... That's different. Being a vampire. We yeah. Have Seems excited about, despite the entire I don't, being, she's not she, into that. I don't think she, she does. I don't think she's excited. She's she scared. Like, she she looks, the sun. She's like, no, like, don't want it. Like he, he's holding her, and she's kind of looking down and like letting herself be held. Oh yeah, she's I very don't like. Think he knows what to make of the situation. <laughs> she's yeah, like in a, shock. She's she she's never asked. It's, it's unclear whether it's like uh, relieved crying or like, oh, this is this is not what I wanted. I liked being an immortal vampire. Didn't you hear me talk about the dark and night and all these things that I love? Yeah, I don't think there was any moments that she was like, maybe not like yeah. this whole time. And then he didn't even ask her as far no, as we he assumed. Yeah, and both like, just assumed. Yeah. And, and it ends with her saying, I'm afraid and him saying, don't be. It's just the sun and then a freeze frame. Yeah. I was like, that's the end of this film. Yep. Well, wait, you do get that dope ass theme from Tangerine Dream. True. And then it's like, down. 
zero. Apparently, um, there was like a, a planned longer version of this ending where like the sister starts to walk out with them, and then the sister's hand catches fire, implying that she got you know bit no. by uh yeah fuck that <laughs> by young boy oh. back there, and it's like because also like that yeah, doesn't pointed they, out they, that they, they don't make to, any sense. Yeah, they yeah. know how to cure it. Yeah, yeah. There's no stakes for that. You're right. It's it's just like all that implies like. All right, load it up. We got to do the blood again. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's funny that we've related, you know, this so much to heroes because of Adrian Pastor, but like, it's just like in heroes when they just had a cure for death for a while. <laughs> and it was just like, well, none of this matters. None of the stakes of this I... matter at all anymore. So guys, uh, do do we think this movie's feminist? No. Um, no. I mean, it has a lot of female gaze. Let me tell you what. I... Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, it, it's really hard because it, it has given a gaze and it has a lot of, like, you know what? These things are bad. These yeah. Things I that will, happen. But also, will, it's like, I never know what to say to that whenever a, a thing is always, like, look at all this stuff that, that happens to women. They're not good, but you're also never offered an alternative. You're just sort of, like, wallowing in it. The torture of the waitress has a distinctly, like, sexual flavor to it, which is not good. Yeah. So I'm going to say there's less sexual assault than in most horror movies, but still some sexual violence. That's and Nathan Pet- yeah. Petrelli trying to keep the girl in the truck. I, I do yes. think, uh, I do which think to be fair, is that is feminist hinges on uh, whether you think Caleb is meant to be awful in the movie or yeah. whether that's just our reading of it. I wasn't sure if that was just our understanding of consent in 1987. I mean, which I think, isn't great. Yeah. Um, I'm, boy, am I judging this movie on one hell of a curve, aren't I? <laughs> I mean, we kind of have to judge 80s movies on a curve if we're going to yeah, be I, I mean, real. What Caleb does at the start of the movie is less sexual assault than most 80s comedies. So, like, yeah. let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's better than 16 Candles. It's, uh, like, 100% better than Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Now that's a horror movie. Yeah. 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 I, I just, I think the point in this movie where like he had already been working that direction where like, I already wasn't liking him, but the point where they, he literally like strands her in the middle of the desert with the only alternative being to make out with him in, or not go home. I was like, ah, I hate this fucking guy. I, yeah. Think, I, I think, I feel like we're meant to because like we know she's a vampire and she's going to die if she doesn't like do a sexual favor for him. I think we already uh, talked about the fact there's not a lot of much of anything to say about racial and sexual justice in this movie. There's not many non-white people in this movie, just as there aren't in Oklahoma. It feels like she makes a point of making all the black people very friendly. But like anyone who's not a vampire is a victim. The vampires are clearly at least led by a racist, if not all racist. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like race is sort of a, a... not really interesting in this movie it's not really the point and like the movie itself doesn't seem to be racist because like all the bad people are racist yeah yeah and then one black character who appears for more than three seconds is the nicest truck driver in the history of truck drivers yes super nice dude just you know teaches random uh teens he's picked up on the side of the road how to drive his truck yeah Uh, which is information that's knowledge that helps caleb quote-unquote save the day so let's pour one out for poor truck driver he deserved better we we don't actually see 
We don't actually see the two black girls that he goes off with die. Presumably they do because he kills everybody yeah. else in this movie that he meets. In terms of queer content, I'm just giving it up for bathing Adrian past our scene. And Bill Paxton's character in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything about him, the, the whole, like, I, I like it better when they're shaved, whatever the line is. I don't like yeah. them not I don't like yeah. them not shaved. That's it. Like, that line, extremely gay. <laughs> I also love that line because it's like, yeah, that would be a practical aspect of living as a vampire. Yeah. Just, just get, I mean, you know, five o'clock shadow in your teeth. It's uh, no good. Yeah, just thinking about, like, eating corn that has been properly husked and it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> The great big bushy beard, and they're just like, mm. oh, God, where's the floss? <laughs> you don't have to dig too hard for the queer content. There's nothing openly discussed in there, which, you know, it's the 80s that's pretty standard. The class stuff is kind of interesting in this because there's a lot of times in vampires in movies are just magically rich, but these are poor, scummy vampires that they steal shit that they need, but generally, like, they're staying in rundown motels, shitty Winnebago's, and everybody seems to be poor. Yeah. So I find myself unsure about the message. Me being unsure if things are okay or not. What a surprise. Just because, like, an aspect of this movie I like is that it strips that sophistication, that, like, the, the richness, the opulence that we so associate with vampires, and brings them down back to their, like, way back roots of just being fucking murderous monsters who killed people to eat. Yeah. Having them be poor, I guess like, you know, white trash could be a term for them. like vampires. Like what does it say that that was one of the methods of bringing them back to this monstrous murderous interpretation? I guess there are two things that I think about with that. And one is that like, looking and probably smelly let's be honest the way that they do they don't have access to anything where they can get more like they can't get to a rich person to take their shit you know like they're taking like three dollars every so often and like just enough to get a hotel room for like six people yeah it's six and, people crammed in a not pig looking winnebago yeah that, that's a yeah ass vampire den they don't seem to be really into having possessions um, yeah, they burn they, just about everything in their Winnebago, so. Yeah. So everything is just resources to be used up. Yeah, I think that's more part of it is that, like, they don't value anything, including life. Yeah. So I don't think that they would at all enjoy doing the only lovers left alive vampire situation, which, you know, let's be honest, they didn't either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jim. I mean, that movie was cool, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a movie about ennui that really got that feeling across. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, you you nailed it. You, you got me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I wonder if being an 80s movie, if, you know, with the, the vampires as social commentary, along with the sort of, we see the oil pumps and everything, they just feed off of everything. They're just constantly sucking the, the literal lifeblood out of everybody and everything um and destroying everything as they go from bars to hotel rooms to winnebago's they just take and destroy all the time so i'm wondering if that's meant to be the metaphor for vampires in this is they don't care and don't care about anything and caleb 
wants to go back to his his nice oaky family. Yeah, like we don't see anyone maybe as poor as them, but there's no one in this movie who's like really of any kind, like with any kind of station at all. Like not the cops, not his family. Like they have horses, but like I think being a country veterinarian puts you in a, a safe place, but not a great place. Yeah, you're comfortable. Yeah, even uh, the yeah. The one cop in the uh, train station who is dressed sort of nicely uh, still has a weirdly bandaged up hand that they never explain. Yeah, yeah. A lot of emphasis on him having that, I guess, is like he's ur- he's feeling this urge to drink blood. But they uh, they never come back to that cop. I feel like everyone's dirty in some way. Like even his dad and sister are like dusty. You know, like yeah. no one's totally physically clean in this movie in a way that I think really works for it. And I think that's where, like, they manage to skirt the class thing where it's not like these guys are poor and therefore bad because, like, they definitely victimize plenty of poor people. Yeah. And when there's also an angle of it, which can be read as vilifying drifters. They're essentially a, a drifter family that is trying to make ends meet. And they also happen to be vampires. But there's another version of this movie that could be really interesting which is that they are trying to make ends meet and they're not like psychotic killers that are blowing up shit kicker heaven or whatever. As fun as that is to watch. Yeah, I think there's something to be said that this is a movie about people who don't work and are leeching off America during Reagan's rule. Yeah, and then, and maybe if we're looking at the uh, more historical racial connotation, you have what? I was thinking we're we're back to... Talking about how Reagan shapes horror movies, the last conversation we had about that was Child's Play with the, when we talked to Daniel Kibblesmith about that and oh, how, oh, yeah. how there's so much like Reagan economics and poverty and stuff in that movie is, is sort of like a weird central thing. Oh, yeah. So Lethal Weapon is in Child's Play. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just saying like, especially with the exoticism of vampires and then the fact that these vampires are drifters, we're getting into maybe some derogatory views of Roma people. I've wondered about that with movies from, I, I guess not necessarily that period, because like, I guess the two big ones would be like Thinner and Drag Me to Hell. And like, did America ever have a like quote unquote problem with that? That's such a weird trope in American horror to be like, ah, we've got a problem with these roving bands. And it's like, was that a thing that happened here? Or did you just read a story somewhere and just like put it in main? I had, I mean, it didn't had hobos. Like that's, you know, yeah, but that's, different. that's different. That, that, I, that's not the Roma. You know, like I, they yeah. typically always do like these Eastern European groups of that like throw little circuses and things. It's like, that's, is that a thing we ever did? I think it's very, it's very big in like British and Irish cinema too, which I mean, they have more. Well, but, of, but they have travelers. Yeah. Travelers there. Yeah. I think that's, they have, like, that's a thing there. I think part of why it's so prevalent in American cinema is not that we ever had it, but that like Americans are so like into owning things, land and houses and things like that, that like the idea of these people who don't own anything and don't belong anywhere, it's just like, it's just an affront to, you know, American capitalism. And then you have the opposite end where people are fetishizing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's but- funny because like we, we have like regular carnies and like there's plenty of stuff about carnies being untrustworthy. So it's just always funny to me to like add this racial aspect that is not a part of the American version of the thing. 
yeah, people were settling and stuff. Of course, you had any sure. number of people, but I don't think it was the same sort of thing. Everybody in America at that time that wasn't a Native American was a, a drifter and, and they were not even in the land that they were from. They were just dr drifting around trying to like settle somewhere. Maybe the fact that they tried to settle at all. I don't know, but this is this interesting conversation. We do have a lot of stories about like you have the something wicked this way comes with the autumn people who are supposed to be scary and magic. And that's also like such a big thing in the 50s when you had like 50s horror stories and stuff and all the Twilight Zones. The one thing um, that I is, is interesting to me about this that I think is sort of unique to America and American horror and stuff like that is the sort of like wayside highway system like series of crimes that make up this movie that like there's just yeah. all these little spots in the middle of nowhere where crazy shit happens and you know nobody ever knows about it and this bar burns down and all these people die and nobody knows why uh, yeah because you know it's it's out in the middle of fucking nowhere off the highway that's a, a very like unique thing to america as far as you know horror stuff is concerned because we just have these long stretches of nothing where you know people disappear and things happen yeah truck routes yeah. and stuff this shit happens out in the the shipping lanes that stuff's always interesting to me yeah um well, generally, would you guys say, uh, would you recommend people check this movie out if they could find it? <laughs> yeah, they <you> can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's very fun. It's a, if you're a fan of 80s movies, if you're into all vampire movies and all the fun they can provide, which, again, Paxton and Hendrickson bring in the fun in spades. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think it makes a very yeah. interesting counterpoint to Lost Boys because, like, Last Boys is so coastal and California and like, even if they are bullies, but they are like fun for the most part in that you want to go hang out with the cool kids that are vampires. And these vampires are not cool. They're psychopaths. These are the flyover states vampires. <laughs> no. But yeah, I definitely think it's worth watching. With that in mind, uh, is there anything we would recommend other than this that people check out if they did enjoy this movie? Erica, is there anything you would recommend to people? In general, I feel like I think a lot about there's like a specific type of like 80s movie that on the surface seems incredibly stupid. And then it just has this like crazy message like Return to the Living Dead, which is all about like, oh, we could die at any moment because the fucking Cold War is going on and like nothing matters. And the government doesn't give a shit about anybody. But mostly it's like teens running around being topless or like the stuff, which is ridiculous than about killer yogurt but it's also about like marketing and how companies don't give a shit and they're willing to kill you to make a buck yeah i feel like the big three mary cohen movies like the stuff god told me to and cue the wing serpent are ones that like i always want to bring up awesome uh emily you got anything to recommend for this one i would heartily recommend also a vibe movie one that we've t covered before which would be girl walks home alone at night uh, if you like a vampire movie with a vibe, but maybe a little bit more of a message, less of a disaster, definitely check that one out. Also has oil stuff and sort of middle of nowhere location. The movie is set in Iran, but is filmed in Bakersfield. So, you know, <laughs> come see, come saw. But yeah, well, fantastic movie. It's set in Dark City. Or or bad city. Oh, yes, I'm yeah, sorry, bad, bad city. city. Bad city, Iran. 
which I swear I wouldn't normally be this like anal retentive about. Just I just love in that movie how that whole city is just like this universe of just terribleness onto itself where people should not be. Yeah, they're, they're full of bodies in the front. Yeah, yeah, there's just I'm a pit full of dead it. bodies. Yeah, and you just they built a bridge over it. It's an awesome movie, though. Great recommendation. Y'all should definitely see it and then listen to the episode we did on it. For sure. (laughs) Uh, Ben, what would you recommend? So if you want something that's very 80s and still a little guy like horror and action, but with more of a uh, coherent, consistent message, I'm going to recommend you check out They Live, starring Rodney Piper and Keith David. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely one of those like I know writers who use subtext and they're cowards movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hour long fight scene between Keith David and Rowdy Rowdy Piper is a cinema masterpiece. <laughs> what, what I'm going to recommend is actually tangentially connected to this, in that uh, it is written by one of the the stars of this movie, Joshua John Miller who is a little kid in this, but has continued to be an actor and a writer as well, recently wrote and acted in a movie called uh, The Final Girls, uh, which is a sort of horror pastiche, uh, which is about a girl whose mom was a scream queen girl in a very Friday the 13th-esque movie. Clearly not Friday the 13th for legally distinct reasons. She gets sort of pulled along to this event where they're screening the movie. Her mom is, is dead and tragically gone. And, you know, she is not sure about going to see her mom in this movie. And through various machinations, they end up getting pulled into the movie. And so they're sort of in this Friday the 13th movie where she is has this weird chance to reconnect with her mom as this character in the movie. And also they're, you know, trying to figure out how to avoid dying at the hands of their uh, legally not Jason stalker. But it's a it's a fun, like take on horror stuff that also has this weird emotional core and it's also got uh, a great cast it's got a little adam divine in there if you know you want to chuckle a bit and it's the young actors too nobody doesn't like adam divine on that note uh let's go ahead and wrap this up erica can you let people know where they can find you and your work online or out in the world twitter Instagram, Threadless, Patreon, at Erica Fails. I also, actually, I also do a podcast with previous guests, Matt Wilson and Benito Serino, called Friends Till the End. We talked about the Chucky TV show, and now we've started in on the movies. We, we actually also just did Child's Play, like, last week. Did I say the name of the podcast? Yeah. It is Friends Till the End. Okay. Till the end, yeah. <laughs> this is the end, friend. Best one-liner in a horror movie. Yeah, uh, as for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con uh, and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all of their books, including the brand new Immortals Phoenix Rising graphic novel from Great Beginnings. And you can order the GLAD Award nominated Renegade Rule graphic novel. And finally, for me, you can find uh, me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and my website at jeremywhitley.com where you can check out everything I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified. Our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at Pod, where you can come uh, yell at us for all of our wonderful bashing of movies that you love or uh, praising of movies that you hate. And speaking <laughs> of loving to hear from you, we would love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it now. It helps us reach new listeners. So... We would greatly appreciate that. 
And thank you again, Erica, so much for joining us. It's been a ball. This is yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah. And uh, thanks as always to Ben and Emily for joining me. And thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by me, Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy, Ben, Emily, and special guest Erica Henderson. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. You can support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.